You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Man Box. I am Rick Fry. And we are brought to you by Oneness Ministries, grace-based, hope-filled, spirit-led counseling, teaching, training, and life coaching. To learn more about us, go to our website at oneness-ministries.org. Also, Marshall Fence, the premier residential and commercial fence company in the Oklahoma City metro area. Contact them at 405-691-1191 or visit their website, marshallfence.com. My guest today is Dan Thomas, Pastor Dan Thomas, and he's with Find Your Place Church in Fort Worth, Texas. How are you doing, Dan? Pretty good. How about yourself? I am doing really well for aging, slightly overweight guy. I'm working on that myself. Yep. And so I'm actually... I uh, just started a cleanse today, actually. Really? Yep. Well, um, green, green smoothie cleanse, and so far I'm experiencing all the side effects that they said I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, since most of my listeners don't know you, can you give us just a little history lesson about Dan Thomas? Sure. I'd, I'd actually love to do that. So, I'm originally from the Midwest, Wichita, Kansas, around the age of 10. Uh, my mother uh, married a guy who was born in Uganda, and we moved to Oklahoma City. Really? And that's where I grew up, uh, in Oklahoma City. And we were always involved in church. It took us a long time to find the church because my mom was never really a church goer. Uh-huh. Uh, although I mean, she knew the Lord, but I went to from fifth grade all the way through college is when I, uh, that's, that's kind of where I was formulated or formed, if you will. And in college at 19 years old, right before my sophomore year is when I accepted my call to the ministry, if you will. And I was, I grew up in a classical Pentecostal denomination and so that's where I started my ministry and then some things started changing for me Mm -hmm. and I'm sure we'll get into that later uh, just in my thought process about God and different things and that just caused me to move because I didn't know anyone else where I was that was even thinking the way that I was thinking and so I moved to Los Angeles at the age of 24 What what year was this? This was in 2002. Okay. So this was in 2002. And then in 2006, uh, I got married. And so now I've been married for 15 years. We have a 14-year-old daughter. Now in 2011, I'm I'm the third oldest of nine children. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, big big family. Yes. And we... (laughs) And so oldest, third oldest, oldest boy, and the sister right above me, uh, she passed. So I preached her funeral in 2000, December 2011. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, we moved back. Well, I moved back. I, I took my wife to Oklahoma City, and we were there for eight years. And I pastored a church, Children Generation Church. And then we moved to Fort Worth. It'll be a year ago uh, Saturday. A year ago, uh, be, wow! 
doesn't seem like that long ago. It's been a year. So, and my life is kind of crazy right now because once or twice a month, I'm in California. I've been, even though we're planning another church here, uh, we won't launch until next year. I've been helping out a church in California. So I was there twice this month. Well, I'll go at the end of the month and then twice again. And then it's always once or twice a month. It's been We've been doing this since April. So, so my travel schedule is pretty uh, pretty heavy now, and then other people are calling. But as long as the wife is okay, I'm good. There you go. There you go. Um, do you like to travel? Do you like doing that? I actually do. I actually do. Now, I don't. I don't like the way airports are set up now. It's it's less friendly, and but but just traveling itself and seeing new things and constantly being exposed is a love of mine. I, I think that people's minds, most most people are stuck in life, mm-hmm. not because they want to be, but because they're underexposed. Yeah, I would agree with that. So what's the name of your church in Fort Worth? Find Your Place Church. So I like to be simple. And we. one of the things that started occurring to me was that, you know, God, is, he lives on the inside of us. Right. We believe that God is omniscient. He knows all things. And we also believe that because he's on the inside of us, we have his DNA, we're his kids. So we're made in his image and likeness. But what I started to notice is that although we know all these things about him and there's so much that's unknowable about him, I realize that most believers almost know nothing about themselves. Amen. And and how they're made and that dissonance, that disconnect begin to bother me and I realize now that anytime anything begins to bother me or kind of jab me a little bit that's God indicating to me that that's something he wants me to tackle and take on and that's kind of that's what became the impetus for this church because so many people leave this world full having lived empty when we should be flipping that when people should uh, live full and die empty Amen Amen so find your place makes sense um, because it's also, it's, it, is it kind of like find your identity? Would that be sort of the same thing? Yeah, that's, a, that's a major part of it because one of the things we started to realize is I, I noticed there was a verse and you, you would know this one. Well, you know, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then I realized yes. that the way I was hearing that was he came to seek and to save who was lost. But that's not what it says. It says that. And so I begin to question, okay, what is the that? And then I realized, if you go all the way back to Genesis, that God prepared the place before he made the person. Wow, and so good. it's always been about a place. You know, he told Abraham, go to a land that I show you. That's a place. There are several people in scripture. It wasn't until they showed up at a place where things happened. The promised land for the children of Israel was a place and God always prepares a place for a person. And so, and then when people are in place, the place they're supposed to be in, then that's when amazing things start happening in their lives. You know, when Ephesians 4 speaks about uh, how the ministry gifts are to equip the body of Christ and equip the believers, 
that word there, equip means to fitly put in place. And so when we started thinking about this church, we started to realize that, you know, number one, our definition of lost was probably very different from scripture because anything lost has somewhere it belongs and someone who's looking for it. Mm. And our definition of lost is a rank center, someone who is the furthest person away from God. Right. But that's really not the revelation of scripture. It's the, when God says lost, it's supposed to indicate to me that he's looking for me, that he's pursuing me, which in essence is what he told the woman at the well. He said, listen, God is looking for those who are, will worship him in spirit and truth. He, he's, he, he's a pursuer. It's not necessarily that you're looking for him. So once we kind of begin to gather around that truth, things just begin to really uh, come into form for us. And, and we say, you know what, we're not going to approach people as if they're far from God. We're going to approach people as people who have been charged to tell people, hey, God is looking for you. That's awesome. And he's not looking for you because he wants to bring you and incarcerate you. He's looking for you. Because he's got something to tell you, and he's got a place for you, and he wants you to live a full and abundant life and to have the greatest time here while you're on earth and then have the greatest time afterwards. And so we've, we've kind of said away with the pie in the sky in the great by and by. That's, that's not the gospel to me. It, it's, it's, we've, we've preached more departure than we have dominion. We preach more escape than we have engage. And so we're, we're, we're flipping that right now. And we're telling people, listen, heaven is real. We're all going. That's great. But there's some things to do down here that will leave an indelible mark that can't be erased. And we want you to be a part of that. We want you to live to your full potential. We want you to exercise your full capacity. We want you to feel fulfilled. We don't want you to be a copycat. We want you to find your place. And we think that knowing your identity in Christ is the best way to do that. Yes. When you say full potential, talk to us about what that means to you. Well, there has to be a reason why I was created. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a purpose for which I came to the earth. So if you think about it, like none of us decided you know, how we were going to be here or even when we were going to be here or even what circumstances, because there were a lot of things in the world that shaped our thinking. So all of that has to have purpose. I mean, you, your worldview that was set in your, your, your subconscious mind that governs your actions, that caused you to think about the world a certain way. And if, if I'm thinking about this rightly, you can let me know, but if I'm thinking about this rightly, I was brought to the world at a certain time because of certain, the world would have certain ills uh, that that needed to be healed, certain problems that need to be solved, certain solutions that would need to come to the surface. And there's something on the inside of me that I gravitate towards that I probably misdiagnosed as frustration. Uh-huh. But those things are attracted to me because God wants me to be able to deal with them. And not only does he want me to deal with them, there's something in me that can deal with them. And so when I talk about my full potential, it's literally becoming 
everything that God designed me to be in that fullest expression. And then anything that's outside of that, I don't, I don't deal with. I, I think the greatest, uh, and, and I don't know how this will sound, but I don't think, I don't think Satan's worried about anybody going to heaven. I, I think, I think his goal is more or less, okay, go ahead and make heaven, but miss making an impact on earth. Oh my gosh, that is so true. I just, that is so true. Um, and you know, I, God impacted me with a, a, a group of verses from John 17. And it's verse 13. It's when Jesus is praying in the, in the garden and you know all of that. But one of the things he says, he says, um, keep them from the evil. Now, all the translations that I see add the word one, keep them from the evil one. Well, that, that's not in the original text. It's keep them from the evil. Satan is defeated, and he, you're right, he doesn't care if we go to the heaven, go to heaven. But what he does want to accomplish is distract us from enjoying the, the journey. If I think he feels like he can win if he can keep us distracted. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think Satan knows he's defeated. He, but he also knows that most of us don't know it and don't believe it. Right. I, I think, I think that's the thing. And so that's the great, the great deception, if you will, because you know, I tell people all the time, Satan's defeated. God is exalted. I have the victory. I was talking to someone the other day. It's interesting that you bring this up. And I held up my Bible. And I said, would you agree that everyone that we read about in this Bible is dead? They pass from this world to the next. And so the individual started laughing. They said, that's, that's a silly question. Of course <laughs> they are. I mean, of course everybody in that Bible is dead. I said, okay. I just want to make sure we're on the same ground here. I said, well, why is there more going on in terms of the demonstration of God and his power and his anointing and his grace? Why is there more going on in the lives of dead people than there is in our lives? Oh, what a great question. And I said, it, and, and if this, and if that's the way it's supposed to be, then we need to stop saying that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I said, I can no longer accept that the ambition that I believe that God has given me the, the ability to see a better day that I know that comes from him, the desire to see everyone, not just know Jesus, but come into their full expression, because here's the truth. I know a lot of miserable Christians. Yes. I know a lot of complaining Christians. I know a lot of Christians who've already damned and condemned the world to hell. They don't care about anybody else. They just want to get out of here. And what's interesting about that is that that's, you know, Jesus prayed and, you know, John 17, you mentioned it earlier, that uh, high priestly prayer. Yes. He prayed that we not be taken out of the world. Exactly. And, and, and here's, 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 here's something I was saying, you know, cause people always worry about how much should we engage in the world. And so I said, it's true. The scripture does say, come out from among them and be ye separate. What it doesn't say is come out from among them and be ye separated. 
and that one letter that yep. that D makes all the difference in the world. You can be among them and not be of them, but you have to be in the world to win the world. And so I'm going to say something that may be controversial. I think it's time for Christians to get more worldly. (laughs) (laughs) I could not agree more with that. I agree with that. And, and what, but what that means to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong is stop playing church. Exactly. Stop playing religion. And I think for people, so the, we always we always talk about the difference between religion and relationship. Uh-huh. I think the thing with religion is that most people don't know that they're in it. It's the truth to them. They they still have, uh, if you will, the, the 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 veil of Moses over their face. I mean, this is what's yeah. this is the way it's supposed to be. We're 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 not supposed to do these things. We're not supposed to hang around these people. And so my, my question is, is that if you're not, how would these people ever know about the love, the grace, and, and the mercy? I mean, these things that, that we have, the, the, the truth of, I, I look at Jesus, and, and then I look at us. And, you know, people were arguing. You talk about church and religion. They were arguing about who baptized more people, yes. Jesus or John. This is John chapter 4. And I'm looking at that from a principle standpoint. And I noticed that when Jesus heard about this argument, and then it tells us in parentheses, and the Apostle John tells us that, well, it was Jesus' the disciples that did all the baptism anyway. Now, this would seem like, because it was such a big deal, that Jesus would have wanted to go and clear this up. He doesn't want anyone, you know, lambasting his ministry or have false information out there. But the next two words really got to me. It says, Jesus left. That was his response to all of that chaos that was going on. It said because he has much need to go through Samaria, which we know that Samaria, there was some trouble there. These were half breeds. They were uh, half Jews, half Samarians. Mm -hmm. And then he sends his disciples off to go buy some meat because they knew he knew that they wouldn't be able to take him talking to a woman in the middle of the day. Right. He knew that they wouldn't be able to, uh, take him talking to a Sumerian at that because they were so religious. And I think that where we are right now in in our country and in our world is that sometimes we have to send religious people away, do the work, <laughs> show them that it works, yep. then bring them back in at the end of it and say, hey, this is what's really happening. And we're, you know, we're, we're in that fight. You know, we're, we're in that fight where you know, the, the true gospel, the too good to be true news is, is being preached, but people have a foundation of condemnation <sighs> to where they're still saying it just can't be that good. Yeah. It, 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 there's no way it could be that good. And we have to keep, you know, proclaiming that. So when I think of religion, you know, the word religion comes from a word that means to bind or to hold in bondage. Yep. I mean, that's what it means. And so I tell people, if that's what you want, if this is, you know, I, I you know, I was joking the other day. I said, if, if, if this is what Christianity is, I'm calling Farrakhan tomorrow. 
to see what to see what he's got going because there's got to be something you know well, you know what I mean yeah and I'll I'll be with you if you'd let me <laughs> oh my gosh yes um because I'm just the type of guy that if I'm in it I'm a hundred percent yep and 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 what I found out growing up was number one you know God he's not even mad yeah. at all he he's He's not mad. He's not out to get me. And then my job, you know, as a as a pastor, as a preacher, is not to be a precinct captain of the sin police. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not my that's not my job. And then not even think a, about how weird. Not even a patrolman for the for the right. <laughs> right. Because I I told one pastor that I knew when I was pastor in Oklahoma City. And, you know, he was saying, well, you, you got to deal with this. You got to deal with this. You got to deal with this. And I said, you know what? From my observation, there are people in our church that are living more holy by accident than people in your church are living on purpose. Because there, it, it's God who gives you the will. Are you still friends with that guy? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, he, he, you, you know, he, it, it's just it's interesting because now he's he, he's asking questions because yeah. what he found out is that the more law that he preached, the more sin people committed. Yep. And and he couldn't see the correlation. He says, "I'm I'm preaching the right thing, but it you know the evidence, the results are not showing up in people's lives." I said, "Well, it's because Scripture says that He gives you the will to do these things. I if I could do it on my own, then there would be." no need for Jesus, but I, I will say this, and you know this, uh, and, I, and I know your story, it just takes a while yeah. when you've been immersed in religion to hear the gospel. Yes. It just takes a while. They're opposed. The, the gospel and, and I've got patience. Yeah. You said they're opposed? Yeah. Religion True. and the gospel. Very much so. Yep. We now we see them as as you know a lot of people see them as one and the same, uh, but they're not. You know, there's one verse that always Corinthians five, and it says, you know, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Yes. And what's interesting about that is it, it the next part it says that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And I thought about that the other day. I said, you know what? I'm glad it said that is. Because that he's telling us, okay, I'm getting ready to define for you what it is. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't, you will define for yourself what you think it is. Mm -hmm. And so he tells us that God was in Christ, uh, not you know reconciling the world to Himself, not counting sins, men's against them. And I tell people, if you hear a gospel that's causing you to remember your wrong and your sin, it's not the gospel. No, sir, it is not. Because the cross worked and mm -hmm. all sin has been forgiveness, forgiven. And what, what you're saying and what, what I hope I'm saying clearly is that we have to walk into that reality. So. Exactly. Yeah. Now you said, so, you, and, and I know your story, but I'm going to let you tell it. I'm going to ask it like I don't know your story. You said you grew up in a Pentecostal church. This is not Pentecostal dialogue. 
what you're saying from what I know about the Pentecostal church. No, and, and there are some people who still have Pentecostal flavor. Like, for instance, I don't, you know, I don't think that, you know, my Pentecostal flavor in certain environments will, will ever leave because it was God's choice for me to be born in that, uh, you know, doctrinally. Right. What we learned, what we learned was that, you know, no, no one, no one ever said that you got saved on your own. I mean, there's no one believes that we all knew you got saved by grace. Uh, you didn't deserve it. Uh, it was, it was God who did it. We all knew it. But after salvation, it was up to you to keep it. Right. And this was the way that you showed God that you loved him by being a good steward, if you will, over the salvation. Now, if you lost it, you know, if you made it to next Sunday, meaning if you didn't die, if you made it to that following Sunday, you, you could get it back. Yeah. You know, because we would take scriptures like, you know, do your first works over again. And you really, really, really had to mean it. And then if you didn't walk the straight line, then, of course, uh, you really didn't mean it. We would know. We would know that you, you didn't mean it. So, right. for instance, we'd hear scriptures like, uh, you know, if you love me, keep your commandments, keep my commandments. Well, we'd know by how you kept the commandments if you loved them at all. Now, that wasn't really the big thing for me. It, it, that reason, the, the, the thing for me was I never knew if God loved me. I knew I was trying to love him, but I wasn't, I wasn't sure for a very long time what he felt about me. As a matter of fact, the concept of God's love or even hearing about it was so foreign to me. When people would come to me and they would have trouble living saved or walking the line or walking circumspectly, I would just conclude, you just don't want to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. Or if, if you know how we believe now, knowing grace, new covenant, the finished work, those different things, I would look at that and say, "Man, get that weak gospel out of here." <laughs> I mean, those were those are words that that I that I would use. I remember there was a young lady when I was in college at Langston University in Oklahoma. You know, shout mm-hmm. out to Langston, yep, uh, last historically black college going west, and we were there as a young lady I went to high school with, and she was getting ready to go to, to a party. Now as as a, you know, I grew up, you didn't go to parties because that was worldly. I mean, you didn't even cross the threshold of the door of one. It's just not something you did. And so I'm, I'm in college and she was getting ready to go. And uh, she was like, what, what do you think? And I don't know why she asked me, but she was like, what do you think about me going to the party? I said, well, the scripture says, love not the world. These are the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And she said to me, are you saying that I don't love God. And, and just as quickly as I could, I quipped back to her. No, he said it. And I remember her, her face, her countenance just drooped. She walked away. I saw tears forming in her eyes. Well, for me, because I had just spoken what I believe to be the truth. I was like, yes, <laughs> got another, <one."> you know, <laughs> you know, I was like, got another one, you know? Yeah. And, and I, to me, I had just won something for the kingdom, in yeah. my opinion, you know. And so, and I've always thought about that. I've never seen her again. I've prayed many times. I'm like, Lord, fix it, please. You know, <laughs> hopefully she came, she came in the truth. Yeah. Because I could tell she really wanted to know what I thought. So we, everything was hard. 
you know, you were saved one day, not the next. It was all contingent and dependent upon you. And so I lived in constant fear of God. I mean, it was so bad when I was younger that, you know, always afraid of the Lord's return. You know, there would be certain cloud formations, and I would almost make myself see a throne in the clouds. And I thought God was coming back, and then I would think about some sin that I had committed that I hadn't gotten rid of, and and I was like, oh, it's over. I'm going to spend an eternity apart from God now. <laughs> and and it was just living under under constant fear. And then what that turned into was I remember when I accepted my call to the ministry, what I noticed was that there were, that ministers never went to the altar during an altar call to ask for forgiveness. And so I remember at the very beginning, at least the first year and a half of ministry, being a minister was a graduation from having to ask for forgiveness. I didn't have to do that anymore. I didn't have to be embarrassed anymore. I didn't have to come up to the altar anymore because and so what that did, though, is that caused me to live falsely because I, yes. I, I could never tell anyone what I was going through. Yes. And then that caused me to go deeper and deeper into a hole because there was no safe place to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm I'm dealing with this. I'm, you know, I'm a young man in college, but there's nowhere. So then I begin to maintain what I knew that they would accept, whether it was true of me or not. Yeah. And so you had, now the people were great. These are people that, that loved me, did anything for me, supported me in college, but the doctrine and the theology uh, made us wonder whether or not we were saved. And then of course, the the main barometer for salvation was if you showed up to church. And so if you came on a consistent basis, we, we learned as kids, you know, Pentecostal kids, we learned how to live around the people we knew who we were accountable to. And then outside of their presence, we just did whatever we wanted to do. Because we, and and it was how we learned, you know, how to live. But I imagine, I I begin to see that. I've noticed that was going on in Baptist churches and Methodist churches. I thought I was the only one, but when I got to college, I noticed there were a whole lot of people like me. And that religion was rampant in every denomination. And here it is. I'm Pentecostal. And of course, we thought we had an authority on Holy Spirit, yes. power, healing, everything like that. But then I realized that even though people came from different frameworks, they were dealing with the same thing. Yes. And it was, that was eye-opening to me. Yes. Um, you mentioned John 14, if you love me. And I spent a lot of time looking at that verse, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I discovered that the word if, and I think it, the Greek word is ech, E-C-H or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that can be translated to the word since. Because none of us would ever say we don't love Christ. Now, so how did that, in my mind, how did that fit? If you love me, well, I do love him. And then he says, you will keep my commandments. And I discovered that the word since I loved him meant that he is the one who will keep the commandments in me and for me. That I am relieved from, I am released from the responsibility of 
keeping commandments because I love him and I receive his love for me. And in that relationship comes a power that is beyond my ability to produce. Um, you have a you have an opinion about that? No, it's I'm I'm over here smiling because you know you bring up this scripture that was a big one for me. Yeah, it, it was a really big one, and so you know I knew that the same man who wrote that was the same man in First John that says we love him because he first loved us. Exactly. But all but also know that this was a man who the man who wrote we love him because he first loved us was a wiser man, uh, a man who had more revelation, more understanding. And so what I did, the way my mind works, I put these two scriptures in a ring together. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, let's, let's, let's have a little tussle, a little you know, psychological, theological tussle. So if Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And then John says that we love him because he first loved us. Something occurred to me that the only way that I can love God at all is if I've received his love for me. Yes. Because I can't give back to him something I haven't received from him. So then it changed the meaning of when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, the way that I hear that in my head is Jesus is saying, if you've received my love for you, then you'll keep my commandments. Because another place in scripture says his commandments are not grievous. Right. They're, they're, they're not. They're, they're not. They're not difficult. So, because when I used to look at people, I used to say, "Oh, they don't love God. Look at how they live." Yes. Now, now I say, if I see a person living a certain way, I don't say that. I say they must not know how much God loves them. Because if they did, if they received His love, then the natural outflow, the natural result of having received His love. Is, is keeping his commandments because it's not you. It's not you're doing it. His love in you empowered you to do what he says, not you you willing it to happen or, or something that you do. So that was a big deal for me. That's how God kind of fixed that thing in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so, and then of course, as I begin to look at scripture more and just read for myself, I realize the Bible speaks more about him loving me does then, then me love then, then me loving him yeah. and it seems like he's constantly trying to convince me of what he's already convinced of about me that's that's he, he, that's what he's trying to do he's trying to convince me of what he's convinced of about me and that's second peter 1 3 isn't it that we have mm-hmm. it we have it now all we got to do is believe it but see, that's the thing. I think many people think that they have to, they have to, they have to get it. Yeah. That it's something, and 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 if that's the case, if I still have to get it, then Jesus didn't get it when he was on the cross. Right. Right. He didn't get it in his resurrection. We've got we've got major problems if he didn't get it. If his if his if his resurrection did not. Uh, you know, go across the entire expanse of time, past, present, and future. We've got problems. There's a song. Uh, it's in it's an African American gospel. It's a pretty fast, exciting song, and uh, they keep repeating the phrase, "The blood 
work still works. That's the name of the song, The Blood Still Works. It's a very popular song. They've done many revisions of it, one just a couple of years ago. And I was listening to that one day, and uh, I thought about it, and I said, I'm going to mention this in my message the next day. And this is when I was still living in Oklahoma City. I said, you know, you guys know that song, The Blood Still Works? And I had the sound man play a little bit of it, mm-hmm. and people kind of got um, – they, they got uh, excited about it. I said, well, that song is wrong. <laughs> and, they, and, I, and I just let them get really hyped about the whole thing. I said, "The blood it's not that the blood still works. The blood worked. Yes. It, you know, past tense. Uh, and the example I gave them to help them understand was that when I was little, I would put, uh, there was a company called S-Curl. Because I was trying to change the way my hair looked to get it softer and do certain things. But I kept having to use more than one box because the first time it didn't take. Yeah. You know, because my hair was a little rough. And I said, that's not how the blood works. You don't have to keep reapplying it because it didn't work the first time. That's that's not how this thing works. It was a once for all sacrifice. Yes. One time for everybody. One, one time for everybody. And so people are not walking in that reality, mainly because now this is this is hard for me to say, but mainly because of the error that comes from pulpits. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it is hard to say. And even though that's true, God still uses it. Oh yeah. Yep. And and well, I have to convince myself of that all the time. Well, hey, you know, look, I got faith. I don't know how, you know, <laughs> I still came, I, still, I okay. still came to faith. I came to faith in Christ, uh, you know, and a lot of it was by fear. Yeah. But, you know, it, it still happened. I, what I've learned to do, Rick, is this, is I just deal, because I don't, I don't ever want to pass myself off as an authority or, or anything like that. A person's revelation, where they are, how they see God right now, I just meet them where they are. Yeah. Because that's what Jesus does. Yeah. Just meet this and, 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 and I know once the light bulb comes on uh, that, you know, God's not mad, that there's more grace in him than there is sin in you. Yeah. You know, once that stuff starts to you know, once you start experiencing real freedom, it's 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 a it's a watershed moment. You know, people are normally crying and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, this is this is this is this is real. And then for some people, it's scary too, because freedom. You know, some people will, you know, they'll they'll run with it, but then they always come back because you know they're swinging from one side of the pendulum to another. Yes, but. I just meet people, and I think as I'm sitting in front of people most days, and they're like, this happened in my life. I'm engaged in this. I'm doing this. And every time they say something, they're, I think they're bringing up shock value items waiting for me to be shocked, and I'm not. <laughs> and they're like, I've never had anyone, you know, not judge me or say, I said, hey, listen. I said, if Peter after having denied Jesus just a couple of weeks later, and arguably his sin was greater than Judas. If God is okay with him preaching the inaugural message of the church, we're going to be all right, man. You know, that's a, 
That's a fantastic statement that you just made, that arguably what Peter did was worse, was a greater sin than what Judas did. Mm -hmm. And nobody can get that. They think the big betrayal was what Judas did. And it was, but Peter did it three times. And the last time that he denied them, you know, the Greek word there means that he actually denied Jesus's existence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's almost blasphemy one-on-one. Yeah. But but when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, go tell my disciples and Peter. Now, when I hear that, wasn't Peter already the, a disciple? Yeah. Now, of course, we know he was. But Jesus purposely singles him out because he knew that Peter was somewhere sitting in the corner, sulking, mm -hmm. melancholy, mm -hmm. self-condemning. And he said, you go tell my disciples and Peter. And to me, when I hear that, when I read that, every time I read that, God is saying, listen, it's not that easy to get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue that it's impossible to get away right? from me. <laughs> because the first thing, you, you remember the first time they met, and he told him to cast on the other side. Yeah. And 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 when he got that net breaking load of fishes, Peter knew he was in the presence of someone holy. You know, yeah. uh, one of the things that I'm I'm dealing with right now is trying to help people see themselves in the image of God. So it's made me think about stories a little bit differently. So when Jesus told his disciples, Hey, let's go to the other side, and then he goes to sleep. Now, we know how those boats were built back then. Mm -hmm. This wasn't a cruise liner. No. So this was just some small boat. A storm arose. And according to the story, it's violent. Well, this means that water had to have been cascading over Jesus' body. For some reason, he didn't wake up. Yeah. They were a little afraid about that. Woke him up and said, Master, do you care that we perish? Of course, he calms the winds and the waves with his words, and then he said something to them that really piqued my interest. He said, "Where was your faith?" Yeah. And I and I thought about I thought about I said, "Shouldn't he be asking them? Do they have any?" Yeah. But he didn't. He says, "Where is it?" And then something struck me, Rick. It struck me that Jesus was saying, "Gentlemen, if you knew who you were, like I know who I am, you would have never had to wake me up." You could have done this yourself. Oh my gosh. That is a, what, what a statement. What, what, yeah. Where's your faith? Yeah. And, and, and they said, what manner of man is this? I, I, I noticed that they didn't say what manner of God. They said, what manner of man is this? Mm -hmm. And so even though they knew who he was, Jesus was so common in his relationship with them yes. that they were able to say, okay, maybe we can, we can do something like this. And I think that, uh, you know, when Paul prays that in Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that phrase there is it's the word dianoia. It's where we get our English word for right brain. And that's where our imagination is. That's where our creativity is, our ingeniousness, our innovation. And sometimes we're so analytical, I know I am, that we don't understand the possibility that Jesus 
is one of one of the things I've begun to understand over the last three or four years is this, this the distinction between Jesus as the Son of Man and then Jesus as the Son of God. And there are a lot of things that Jesus did as the Son of Man that we can do if we really start to believe that I am made in His image and with His with His likeness, and and so it shouldn't be strange when I read that someone walks through Peter's shadow, him even unaware of their presence, and they get healed. That shouldn't be strange. Shouldn't be strange. We that, should not be surprised. No, no, not at all. Yep. And I think we're coming to that. I think we're, and I think we're also beginning to realize that there are just certain human abilities that we have that we relegated to the supernatural, but the life of Jesus being fully human and fully divine really teaches us that there are things in our humanity that we've yet to tap into. Yes. Well, doesn't it make sense to you that if Christ said, I do nothing unless the Father tells me, and then we get Holy Spirit and God begins to communicate to us, doesn't it make sense that we have access to the same power, that we have access to the same skill sets that Jesus had? I mean, yes, he was the son of God. Yes, he was the son of man. And which means that we have access and we don't think we do. We pay more. It, it makes sense. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. No. I, I want to hear what I just said. I'm just agreeing with you. We, we pay more attention to our humanity than we do to our spiritual nature, our new nature, our new create the new creation that we are. And that is to have, that is designed to make us be in that relationship so that father's voice is louder than the human voice. I'm done. <laughs> no, see, what you're saying is that I'm pausing because, and whoever's going to listen to this needs, needs to understand what, what was just said. Because I think it's one of the, the primary missing pieces in our experience. I also think that it's one of the primary missing pieces in what we call evangelism. Because when, when Jesus died and the disciples began to operate in the same power, in the same way, that Jesus did when he was on the earth. This is what was said of them. People looked at them and said, these men have been with Jesus. Right. It wasn't because of what they taught. It was because of the demonstration and the power. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, that I didn't come to you with persuasive words of wisdom. I'm not trying to impress you. He said, but I came to you in demonstration and power so that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's a guy who was the most boring preacher that ever lived, so boring that he was teaching that a man fell out of a window and broke his neck. <laughs> <laughs> I never put that together. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it happened. You know, we say, I wish I could sing like an angel and preach like Paul, but he couldn't. You know, the Corinthian church that he was preaching to, you know, he's talking to them about wisdom, you know, in that first century, but this is the same uh, this is the same uh, community, the same the same uh, culture that produced Socrates and Plato. Mm-hmm. 
So when Paul is speaking to them about wisdom, they're like, you don't know anything about wisdom. We know about wisdom. We, we put wisdom on the map, but Paul is saying, no, this, this is the wisdom of God. And then, and then he had to help them understand the difference between the two. Well, when you start putting two and two together with that, what, what begins to happen is that you start to realize that I mean, God's trying to tell us something about ourselves that he has his own advertising system. And it's called Miracle Signs and Wonders. Now, uh, I'm a word guy. I'm, 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 a, I'm a Bible guy. I know for some people there's a fight between the two that, you know, the, the word of God can work just like, you know, if God does a miracle, if he doesn't, I'm not in that fight. The point I'm making is this, is that in, in cultures where there was high intellectuality and information, God used things that could not be denied that surpassed human understanding and comprehension. Yes, yes. And we're in one of those times where evidence is needed. You know, he said, be a witness for me. You know, that's where we get our word martyr from, you know, marturion. In the original language, it just means one who gives evidence, and there there has to be some evidence. There's got to be something that that distinguishes us from uh, the rest of it. And I'm I'm hungry for that. I'm not hungry for flair and entertainment. Yeah. I'm hungry for people, you know, seeing God for who He is, correcting that picture, and then living a life where, like David said, hey, taste and see that the Lord is good and that his mercy endures forever. Uh, and the world is finding out stuff on their own. And that I think that's kind of, not it's not what bothers me, but they're, they're, they're discovering things that God has put in the earth for humans to be able to do, but absent Christ. And we can change that, you know, as we just continue to preach the love and the grace of the Lord. And and I, and I just think right now, in my opinion, is one of the most exciting times in human history. To me, I'm glad to be alive at this moment because, and to be charged with the, the assignment to communicate this and just to see people come alive. Uh, it's just, it's just been rewarding. For me, 2020 was one of the best years I had. I know for many people it wasn't, but there were so many things that God has done, so many so many lives I've been able to touch, so many people I've been able to take on the boat of life, if you will, to the other side, that it's just been, I, I've seen reconciliation on all levels, you know, uh, racially, you know, economically, philosophically, doctrinal. I've seen it in a year. I've seen more fruit in my ministry than I've seen in all the 23 years that I've been doing it. Wow. In this one year? In one year. Wow. Praise God. Praise God, man. You know, we've been doing this 50 minutes already. It doesn't feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't. (laughs) Will you come back on? I I, I would. I would. I I actually thought we had been home for like 25 minutes. No. it's almost an hour. <laughs> wow. I want uh, I wasn't looking at the clock. Yeah. I want to close this with you. What do you want my listeners to hear 
from Pastor Dan Thomas. You got the microphone, brother. Here's what I want to say. I want to say don't worry about whether something is in the will of God or not. I know this sounds weird, but a lot of people struggle with this, and it paralyzes them to the point where they don't begin to make forward progress. Holy Spirit in you is intelligent enough that if you're getting ready to mess up the purpose of God for your life, he'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Your GPS system is smart enough to know when you're going the wrong way. And so I just want to remind everyone that's listening of Proverbs 16 and 9. This is what it says. The plans of a man's heart are his, but it's the Lord that directs his steps. So in other words, what that means is God says, hey, feel free to plan your life. And then I will direct you on how that plan is supposed to go. It's no different than you saying, I want to drive to California. Your GPS is going to give you options on how to go there. They'll give you the directions, but you make the plan. Where do you want to go? What's in your heart? What do you feel most pulled towards? What do you want to be most engaged in? And live, flourish as a child of God on this earth. Hold nothing back. Live full, free, and abundantly. And then you will give glory to God. The best thing that can happen for a manufacturer is for that car to optimally function. And then people see it in its optimal function, and then they want to go buy it. Yeah. You give glory to God not by saying, I give glory to God. You give glory to God by living out your full potential and your calling in its full expression. That's awesome. That is awesome. Thank you, Dan Thomas, for being on Inside the Man Box. There's supposed to be music here, but I have this all screwed up, so I'll have to add it later, edit it in. Um, I want you to come back. I want to continue this conversation. And what a blessing you are to me, brother. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you for having me. And whenever you're ready, I'm ready. All right, sir. Thanks again. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> and if you would like to become an ad advertiser or support Inside the Man Box, please go to our website at oneness-ministries.org and click on the podcast to become a broadcast partner. You can contact me at rfry at oneness-ministries.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>